0: Futurized goes beneath the trends to track the underlying forces of disruption in tech policy business models social dynamics and the environment i'm your host Trun arne unheim futurist and author in episode 36 of the podcast the topic is how 5g plus ar might revolutionize communication our guest is david a smith ceo and founder of croquet the Augmented Reality Collaborative Operations System. In this conversation, we talk about how augmented reality builds on insights that were present among the precursors of the Internet, such as Douglas Engelbart and Alan Kay. We explore whether and how AR can evolve into a communication platform that is in some ways more real than co-presence, or at least can support simultaneous digital collaboration in a way we have never seen before. How long might this take? What will the form factor be? Will computers as we know them become outdated within the next decade? A word from our sponsor. Do you have business challenges where you would like high-quality external input from experts? Yegi is an insight network with access to on-demand teams made up of select talent from thousands of experts across industries and markets, including financial services, education, software, energy, healthcare, and life science. Check out Yegi at archives.yegi.com. That's Y-E-G-I-I.
1: Dave, how are you doing today? Ah, it's great actually. I'm in North Carolina, even though the headquarters of my company is in Los Angeles. Uh, You can work out the reason why. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, not
0: particularly pleasant there right now.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a sad situation around the world. But um, the the weird thing, uh, as you know, I work in collaboration, and it's it's great (laughs) if you're in that business. (laughs) Yeah, I I take I, I feel bad about. Feeling good about it, but you know, it's, it's um, the situation, is, I, I think, uh, in particular, the kinds of technologies we see emerging have been a long time coming, and I think it's really, you know, anytime a cri- you have a crisis like this opens doors for things that we're just kind of waiting to happen. So in a way, uh, we're dramatically accelerating a lot of the technologies that we're going to need in the near future anyway.
0: Dave, that's. Uh, I'm glad you're jumping straight into it. Um, I'm just going to introduce my my listeners uh, super quickly to the fact that. You know, your background, both in technology and, and in innovation, it stretches through, obviously, kind of the the top technical sort of uh, universities. Uh, and you have also worked in big companies. You were the chief innovation officer and the senior fellow at Lockheed Martin. Yep. And now you are, uh, I guess, a serial entrepreneur now with uh, Croquet Corporation. But, but the point is, we're, we're here to talk about the intersection of technology and and collaboration and communication. That's right. So I think, you know, without any further ado, we're going to, you know, go to that, except I I always ask my guests this one question. So you're all accomplished. That's why, uh, you know, you uh, people want to hear what you're up to. You've done so many things. What brought you here today? What single thing, if anything, in your background is what? Inspired you or taught you what you needed to do to tell me the things we're going to talk about today?
1: Um, oddly enough, uh, I, I think one word is, is it's frustration. Uh, there's this, you know, you can imagine the way, way the world could be and should be. And I, I was and still am a huge science fiction fan. And you're kind of reading all well, that, this is a, a very plausible and wonderful future. And, you know, the, the areas I w- I've been interested in all over the map and you know maybe for better or worse, but uh, I, I was particularly intrigued and excited about this idea of how people communicate and the nature of the computer as part of that conversation. And I was lucky enough to tap into a uh, a very fertile vein that was, if you go back, many, many, many years, the whole idea of the computer as a communication device was actually part of the fund foundation.
0: Yes. I, I wanted to talk about that foundation because, like you, I am truly fascinated about those very early years of computing, which actually were computing before computers in a certain sense, right? Because they were theorizing about computing. Mm-hmm. They were Prototyping computing, but they had some really advanced thoughts about communication. Could you take us back? Because I know you have worked with Alan Kay, who has mm-hmm. been part of that, and let's talk about that for a second. But even further back to licklider and yeah. you know Neumann von Neumann and some of these very early guys, and, and and then of course Douglas Engelbart, who became known for for the mouse of all things. But but really all of those. Three, four guys. They had these thoughts about the communication medium that they thought they were starting to build, and in a certain sense, if I'm going to uh, understand this correctly, and you know, please correct me. Some of what they thought has been built, and some of what they thought has y- not yet been built, and arguably is yeah. perhaps what AR is, you know, has as its ambition now. Can you unpack? that for us.
1: Yeah, this the is a big thing. Right, right. There's a What's so remarkable about those people you mentioned, Engelbart, uh, Licklider, um, Ivan Sutherland uh, in particular, was they started with this blank page of, you know, you remember in those days, computers filled entire buildings. Yeah. And this idea of a personal computer, think about how foreign a concept that must have been. Yet the people that we were just talking about had a deep understanding that the computer someday would be at the center of engagement with between humans. It was the concept of the word symbiosis was, was used back then, and uh, and so it probably the best place to start. In a sense, the 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 the, the person who had. A foundational theory about the the nature of communication between humans and computers is Ivan Sutherland, uh, and you know people think about Sketchpad, this application he created as the first interactive computer graphics platform, but it was so much more than that, because what it really was is a conversation between a human and a computer. The human would do these things, set up a, a, a state, and, and then the computer would actually compute. Um, you know, to, 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 to uh, coerce the data into a certain form to, to, to the, that would normally be hard for a human. So this idea, for example, when you think about sketching, you draw a circle. The idea of a computer doing the circle for you was sort of quite interesting. But then having that circle in turn being constrained by other elements in that scene uh, was extraordinary. So all of a sudden, this communication is that you're having with the computer is amplified, where the computer can do so many more things that you could never do by yourself. So that that relationship was extraordinary and really opened the door. But going a little bit back further was Looklighter and and Bob Taylor even wrote a paper on on computers as uh, communication devices. And the idea there was, when we think about personal computing, Uh, In their days, not today, interestingly enough, but in their days, they thought personal computing is a vehicle by which you're going to be able to explore ideas with teams, with other people. And this is why Doug Engelbart was so crucial. Uh, He obviously was uh, funded by Licklider-Taylor, and and, um, uh, he came up with this concept of uh, not just a, a computer as communication device, but a thought device. You know, expanding the scope yes. of of what we 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 can possibly do. In other words, carrying those ideas that Ivan Sutherland had demonstrated so well. Uh, by the way, Sutherland's demo, uh, where he, when he did that um, sketchpad of sixty-three. Doug Engelbart wrote a very, very important document. And unfortunately, I don't remember the name right now. But nineteen sixty-two, that really laid the foundation for what became the demo that people are, are so uh, so well remember. Uh, yeah, that's the
0: demo at SRI, the the mouse demo.
1: It was yeah, it was well actually so it was it was it was a it was a demonstration of a future that we still haven't quite attained. And <laughs> what what I mean by that is he was demonstrating capabilities, ideas. I mean we kind of got pieces of it, but we didn't we still haven't kind of achieved the greatness of what he showed, which is a true collaborative thought system. And that's you know, what we i demonstrated.
0: I'm, I'm very, very intrigued by that because I think so many of us, ha- you know, we think that layer upon layer, the internet was built out in the 70s and 80s and 90s, and we are now near the perfection. But what <laughs> you're sort of starting to kind of unpeel for me here is that there was a path dependency maybe, you know, in the internet that we then got, and then there's another path. And there's just so much to unpeel here, which I know that you are working on hard, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. day and night here, uh, you know, in terms of uncovering this sort of alternate road, almost like the road not taken. Can you bring us into what that is? Because, you know, augmented reality and telepresence, a lot of the things, you know, 3D, some of those things we sort of think that we are doing. I mean, and by we, I mean like the industry yeah. is doing right now. What is the industry not doing right now in terms of these original principles that you think will lead into true augmented reality and communication devices and, and thinking devices, which right. was your, your expression right, right before here?
1: And that actually goes back again to Doug Engelbart interesting note about Doug, by the way, that when the internet was first, uh, the first deployed, the first two locations were UCLA and Doug's lab. Uh, you had to have at least two, right? Otherwise you don't even have a network. But uh, so, but that actually was after that. They did the, the demo, what they illustrated in the demo was something quite profound. Um, not only were, the, I mean, they, they shared the computer. In this, in this case, it was a single computer that multiple people could engage with. Uh, but the, the one of the really hidden, pow- but extraordinarily powerful elements of that computer system was they used that system to improve itself. You know, uh, and, and how did that work? Improve itself? Can you explain well, what that imagine? Really imagine a programming well. environment. Where everything is touchable and and modifiable, and, and by the way, I'm getting uh, directly into the heart of what the Smalltalk project at Xerox Park was, because Smalltalk was basically not just an operating system, but a system where everything was modifiable all the way down. Doug Engelbart illustrated that uh, that uh, and, and that it was not just plausible but very powerful. But then, when uh, the Xerox Park Team kind of inherited those ideas and made up some new ones, but the very idea of the, the the nature of the interface that we take for granted today was invented there by modifying the system that existed while the system was running. So imagine that like uh, one day uh, Dan Ingalls, who was the implementer, a small talk decided had this idea for his pop up menus. He didn't have to quit and then code and then run it again. He literally kept running Smalltalk because Smalltalk was not just the OS. It wasn't just the user interface. It was a full development environment, and so he could create this new artifact, this new thing, test it out while the system was running. In other yeah. words, you had this ability to modify the very foundation of the computing platform that you're in. And in doing that, they basically invented most of what we take for granted today on your on your Windows machine uh, on, on your phones, uh, you know the, the ideas of icons, the idea of what you see is what you get, uh, the ideas of pop-up menus, overlapping windows. Alan, uh, Alan Kay invented that in the shower one day uh, to solve a problem with a screen that was too small. So, all In the shower, things.
0: literally. I like yep, it. Yep,
1: that's right. Yep. And, yep. and think about that. What they did was they started with you know, almost nothing, and they built out the entire infrastructure of what we think of a computer interface yes. at Xerox PARC. Then what right. happens is Bill Gates and uh, Steve Jobs get a chance to see it. And what they did, and this is the frustrating part, is they captured those beautiful ideas And that became the Mac and became Windows. And they were cast in amber. So this rich ability to modify the environment that you exist within was lost. You now have a static platform. Nobody really could easily, you couldn't modify Windows. You could build applications inside of it for sure, but you couldn't modify the infrastructure. You couldn't change the interfaces. And, And so that was kind of the one Big loss that we had because one of the things that Doug was demonstrating for the first time was this idea of bootstrapping, building technologies that uh, 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 build, building tools that allow us to enhance technologies, which allow us to build better tools. Yeah, and, and and we've lost that. That's a spiral. That's not a circle, right? That's a spiral coming out at you, where you're, you're constantly taking these steps up. But as soon as the, the clay that you use to create the interfaces and the applications gets uh, fired and so it's no longer malleable, then that, that kind of innovation stops. Now, <laughs> that, that, that it goes deeper than that because one of the things that he also showed was this idea of collaborating inside that same kind of space. You know, where you've got multiple people who are able to modify the state of the world as part of a conversation. Um, by the way, if you read Alan's paper, A Personal Computer for Children of All Ages, where he defines the term personal computer. Yeah, which I first- just
0: did, by the way, which is fantastic.
1: That's right. So, th- that first story is these two children who have DynaBooks. So a DynaBook was Alan's vision of what later became laptops and tablets. Uh, and these two children are. Playing a game together, Space War, and then they say, "Oh, you're, let's make it more interesting." And so both of them leave this game that they're playing together. Both of them on their own tablets, right? And they switch over to programming and they modify the game as part of this engagement. And then they go back to playing again. And and so what happens is you get this really wonderful loop of uh, you know. Uh, exploration, creation, modification, and 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 in particular that the every aspect of the system enables you to extend it or to modify it or to rethink it uh, was extraordinarily powerful. And by the way, going back, that's why Xerox Park was able to create the future that we still have no choice but to live in. Uh, they 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 had that flexibility, that freedom to explore incredible design space. The challenge we have today is that, as I mentioned, we're, all this stuff was cast in amber. And so the idea of thinking outside those boxes, the PC box, for example, is very hard for people to understand. I mean, it's interesting when you talk to people who are in the field of computer science, and so they don't realize that somebody had to invent the window. Somebody had to invent the mouse. You know? And what Doug did, by the way, the mouse was just an integral part of a much bigger idea. But all these things came together in a very, very powerful way, but they were not the end. They were supposed to be the beginning.
0: You know, Dave, one of the things that is so powerful with this conversation is that I think that I had simplified the origin of computers into thinking in the beginning there was open source and everything was open and then came along, you know, like in your story, these two guys who built uh, proprietary systems. But what you're starting to open up for me is that this is about so much more than than the source coding of this thing, because it's about the fabric and the metaphors. And, and ultimately a structure beyond just allowing the information to kind of be free or not. So it's much beyond just copyrights on various things. It's literally the entire structure of the building block. So if I if you permit me a metaphor here, yeah you know, if you take Legos, right? So Legos are, are very malleable and they're, they're, you know, they're based on this plastic, uh, you know, modular structure. But you're talking about, you know, and you could say, well, you know, if you had access to, to how these uh, Legos were constructed, then everyone could build because, you know, you had access to kind of the basic building block. You are talking pre the building block. You're saying mm-hmm. there is something, there are alternate structures that don't even have to do with building blocks. So l- let alone... That you may or may not access how this building block is constructed. You can construct it in plastic and this this or that material. You're saying um, be even before this kind of block structure is. Mm-hmm. St- you know, is molded. There's a whole other logic here that that could have. And, and am I right in thinking yeah, that you actually, still
1: think it can come out? Oh, it has to. Uh, and, and by the way, your analogy is so spot on. So Alan actually uses the term, the concept of the arch. What, what does the arch have to do with bricks? Well, you can make an arch out of bricks. But right. the reality is the arch is a concept that changes the very nature of what it means to build, right? The blocks are are not the relevant thing. The idea is the relevant thing. So what these guys were doing was inventing arches and then figuring out how do we build the arch. And so the bricks, as you said, the objects, uh, Alan invented object-oriented programming, uh, were some of those elements. And of course, they weren't bricks necessarily either. Uh, they, they were uh, more like the cells of a body, right? They had their own behaviors, their own capabilities. But but when you start thinking in terms of not, you know, here's this component, but you think of what's the big idea, what is it we're trying to accomplish, then everything arises in support of that big idea. Uh, Doug yeah. Engelbart could not have had that demo without. The original idea is that original arch concept in 1962, and, and 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 which which drove everything else. The materials yeah. that that got got made in that that he used to make that system. I'm not sure they were that relevant. What mattered was he invented the nature of what we think of in, in terms of hypertext communication, collaboration. Uh, the, the, the idea of a mouse as a pointer, and by the way, that wasn't a, oh, one day they had this flash of brilliance. They, they went through a hundred different kinds of devices trying to figure out what, uh, what's the best way to engage with the, 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 this interface that we were building. And here's a really spectacular thing that people miss completely. What the mouse does is an amplifier of your intent. And what I mean by that, you know you're going to move a mouse a couple inches, and you have a big screen, like I have a three-foot screen over the side, and I can move that mouse from one end of that screen to the other just with a few inches. Or I can move that mouse to be to, between two letters in mm-hmm. in, a, in a document so I can edit. What, what's going on is I'm, in, I'm amplifying my intention. Uh, and and you know, it's like it's invisible to you because you know, it, you've used it, you know most of your life, and it it's one of those things that you just assume it works, but you don't even think about why it works or how it works. It's just there. But when you think about what computing should be, computing, going back to Ivan Sutherland's ability to get the computer to amplify his intent, that's what computers should be. And that's and we're still not to the point where we're talking about, How do you do that in a collaborative sense? And that's the the next part of what we should be talking about. But just think about that. The very first part is computers amplifying our, our intention. And then when you start thinking about collaboration, they actually amplify what we are.
0: So, okay, so this is interesting. Can we just stop for a second about this object-oriented programming? Are you saying that some of the insights needed to build the next stage of computing, uh, you know, into augmentation of uh, communication actually cannot depend on object-oriented programming the way that we know it? Is it, it goes it?
1: I, objects, or, or can uh, you do both? Yeah, you, you need both. I mean, objects are. Uh, I, I, in fact, I'll you hope need I some objects. No, you I, just I, I, this, Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying, by the way, you don't need bricks or just some other material if you weren't thinking about those as the objects. What I'm really yeah. saying is the arch. The arch transcends material. Sure. In this case, uh, objects are still a extraordinarily powerful way to. Create interesting things, interesting artifacts, and, and, and in particular, when we go to this next level of you know, kind of the collaborative infrastructure, or the you know, collaborative web, then they're essential. I mean, yeah. it, 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 you can't do. And, and in fact, what's really interesting is we get closer and closer to Alan's original vision of not objects so much as messaging between things, because uh, because that 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 was actually the more important idea. Uh, he, he was. Uh, he said a number of times that, um, calling it objects was a mistake. It really should have been uh, message passing. Uh, but that, that, that's actually, um, yeah, we're going to, when we talk about what's going to happen in the next level, it, you're yeah. going to be engaging another person and you're going to be sharing things with that person, right? The digital <laughs> things. And those are objects. Uh, so, so we're, we're not, uh, we're not, You know, we're we're not backing away from that conceptual model. The implementation will probably change, but the ideas are not going away. But the real big idea that Doug Engelbart demonstrated in 69, 69, yeah, no, 68, it was 68, uh, was not just here's a system, but this system is collaborative all the way down. In other words, the computer is a vehicle for communication, collaboration, uh, it is not just a symbiotic organism between you and me, but between you, me, and the computer, but it, it's, it, it, it sits between us uh, and, 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 and in a sense that uh, you and I are having a augmented conversation, I call it, and the computer is a full participant in that. You mention some idea, the computer reifies, generates a simulation of that idea between us. It's running a bit identical. We see what I see is exactly what you see, maybe from a different orientation, but we're both sharing that object. And then you can make uh, criticisms of it or modifications of it. or, or you know, Basically, we're both able to reach in and modify that idea space as part of the conversation, just like we're talking about the weather.
0: So David, I uh, before we go into, because I actually tried one of your demos uh, in, in your uh, current uh, uh, croquet demos uh, with my son uh, this morning. So I have some oh. questions around that, which was very cool. But before we go there, so you designed the first real-time 3D design application for personal computers. Can you just do a little stop around? Yeah. What 3D design used to be, because I want a place to compare this new paradigm you have. Yeah, and and I think it's it's very easy to sort of say, hey, I play computer games. We we can see each other's, and that was my son's first thought too. He was like, well, mm-hmm. you know, we have some of this already. I can see when my friend's doing X. Right. Tell me what was real time and sort of 3D design in in games and and, and in g- computing way back when, and, and what is, and how, can you kind of just explain what the big difference is when it truly becomes yeah. multiplayer immersion and the things that you are then going to call true collaboration?
1: Yeah, uh, well, a little bit of history. Um, so I wrote the first real-time 3D computer adventure game, 1987, it was called The Colony. Uh, that actually led to a number of projects. I, I, I met Tom Clancy, the author, that way, and also, uh, Jim Cameron, who was directing the movie *The Abyss* at the time, uh, uh, saw saw my game and asked me to help out on uh, doing basically a set uh, set visualization tool so for for the deep core uh, world that they built in the, in that movie. Uh, my interest in three D was I was interested in an, an alternative world. You know, what does it mean to? Um, uh, to be someplace else, this, I, mean, I was interested in virtual reality at, at, at that time. I, I did; I was doing telepresence. Uh, I, I literally had a, a, ro- a, a Puma 560 robot arm I could control with a thing called Data Glove, and I could pick things up and move it around from a distance. So really interested in this being someplace else but still, still being you. And so the game was the first attempt at, at that exploration. The fact mm. that it got useful for, um, yeah, in Hollywood, as an example, uh, dis- I, I decided I should uh, build a plat- an application that allowed you to, to create, create those worlds versus just me doing it. Uh, that was quite successful as Vertus walked through the first real time 3D design tool. Um, that led to a number of things. Uh, I actually started a game company, with Tom, uh, called Redstorm Entertainment, where we came up with a game called Rainbow Six. Which is yeah. was actually very very popular. So the, but the that that um, uh, what what happened around 1990, um, I I got introduced to Alan um, and and it was by his wife by the way Bonnie McBird. Bonnie, you you may know she she actually uh, wrote the screenplay for Tron. And uh, she met Alan when she was doing research uh, on on that movie. <laughs> I which love is,
0: Tron. It's kind of the only reason people can pronounce my name is I just say ah. it's like the movie Tron, which you know, few had seen before they saw the second one. But anyway,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's yeah. right. But anyway, so so he and I started talking about what's the next interface? What's the next big thing? And it was clear it has to be three D. And the other thing that was clear is it had to be uh, collaborative. Yeah, and so. This is going back quite a ways. Uh, In 1994, I built the first prototype of what we're doing today uh, called Interactive Collaboration Environment. It was a 3D world. Uh, You had these 3D windows. You could drop components into it. Those components were shared. It was really uh, it was beautiful. There's a YouTube video of it uh, if if somebody wants to see it at some point. But um, that illustrates something very powerful. First of all, 3D had this really and wonderful um, feel to it when you're with somebody else. You know, I, you and I are looking at the same thing. I can see you're looking at the same thing. Right. Uh, we're, we're together there. And then when that person's interacting with that object, like a paint, pro, a paint or whatever, you know, a whiteboard or something like that, then you see them do it. They're doing it. They're engaging with that. And you're watching them do that. And, and this is the big this is where we start getting more interesting and why there's a foundational difference between what we're trying to accomplish and doing multiplayer games. Because what we're after is this idea that this is indeed a shared reality all the way down. Uh-huh. Uh, when, when you engage with something, when you pick something up, when you modify something, uh, it's as real as if you're picking up a physical object and engaging with that in front of me. And that's how that—that's the nature of what we want to be able to uh, create in the digital space. It has to be as real or more real than real life, and 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 further. I mean, this digital modeling clay—and of course, I don't mean just you know, physically you know, three D, but you know, kind of uh, idea spaces—they uh, have to be malleable. They have to be accessible, and. One way to think about the difference between this and, say, a, a multiplayer game, multiplayer games have very limited vocabularies. Mm-hmm. In other words, I can shoot, I can move, I can kill, I can die. And what happens is we send these messages up to a, a server somewhere. It says, okay, uh, it adjudicates it and says, oh, you died, or that guy died, or whatever. It doesn't matter. But there's that, a very limited vocabulary. Well, so the things you can't do, for example, is even though you might see some physics going on, you can't do multiplayer physics. You can't, in a sense, see the same exact physical in a simulation by I see on, on your side, which means you can't really use it for gameplay. So <laughs> what we're looking at is, can we expand the vocabulary of these systems so that they're as big as the vocabulary of any application and still have but users engage with that?
0: That makes a lot of sense. So what you're telling me is that uh, a lot of computer games for a while now they Uh haven't even been as advanced as the rest of computing because the form factor of a game hasn't upgraded. So in other words, as long as you have this very simplistic notion of shooting and, you know, all these things then you, you actually, it's not even interesting to have the capabilities you're talking about. So you you need to basically recast everything into a much deeper form factor. uh, Somehow. Yeah,
1: You have to think of the problem differently. And that is, uh, in fact, what, we we started a project in nineteen or in two thousand actually, that included uh, Alan of course, uh, Andreas Rob who was just an amazing programmer and David Reed. David you may know of uh, he uh, uh, created uh, UDP, but he was also one of the chief designers of TCP/IP. Uh, Alan calls him the slash in TCP/IP. Um, his <laughs> thesis was this idea of replicated computation and how to maintain that replicated state. So it turned out the replicated state idea was key, but the way we were doing that, that was wrong. And we wound up actually figuring out how to do that right. But the way, think about what we're trying to do here. You and I are running a computer, a virtual computer, and it's running bit identical. In other words, if I tell, tell my computer and your computer what time it is, they're all, both are going to execute in exactly the same way. Uh, deterministically, and they're going wi- to wind up in exactly that same state after that computation. Yeah. Uh, and so it's sort of like a clockwork. But one of the things you could do is, like, I'm going to poke at at this computer. I'm not going to poke directly at it. When I poke at it, it actually sends a message to what we call a reflector, and the reflector is where the time exists. The reflector puts a timestamp on that on that message, on that event, and redistributes it to all the, my computer and your computer. Now both of us are getting a message. And that message isn't just the content of the message, but it's also saying, execute this message at this time. That means your computer, my computer are going to execute everything that's pending inside of them. They're both going to move forward in time. And then when it gets to that time that that has that external message, they're going to execute that. So even though I'm the guy who clicked on something on my computer, that event got sent to you. And is being executed simultaneously on my computer and your computer in a simultaneous way. So this, these two computers are still running bit identical. They're still exactly the same. What that means is what you see is exactly what I see. And what you do, I get to see you do it as you do it. So all of a sudden, we, we've completely changed the model of I have this very narrow uh, kind of vocabulary that I can use to—it's infinite. I don't know what the application may be. I don't care. Our ability to engage with it and for it to execute uh, is perfect. By the way, includes ability to share complex physics simulations, which is something so Where we are on. we
0: now compared to where you think we'll get? Uh, you know, and how fast? So, ah. for instance, my son and I—right, he's eleven—and uh, uh, I showed him your demo. We both engaged on the same URL, and a virtual world uh, appeared, you know, a green kind of boxed up. Uh, kind of space that reminded oh, that, yeah. him, a little, yeah, yeah. reminded him a little bit of uh, you know some of his uh, current games. But then we started playing with it, and and you know we were building uh, little towers and things, and then some figures up to five hundred appeared, yep. like some avatars, and there was a maximum of these five hundred, and then some of them started dying as we built structures where they fell down. Yeah, so there was a whole if you drop a block in them, they die. <laughs> they, 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 they die. But the point was whatever he was doing affected my world because it was all the same world. And, and then right. we started kind of interacting in a way. Now, clearly there were limitations on what we could accomplish in that, in that world. Yeah. But, you know, I planted some trees, they started growing. He saw those trees. He could either drop a block on that tree or we could, you know, okay, that that's a tree. And we were building things. We were sort of sometimes destroying things, but, I guess for me, the new thing was that we were truly interacting. Whatever world we, mm-hmm. we you know, evolved was evo- co-evolving through both of our actions. We weren't like, you know, player one, player two. We were truly simultaneously co-creating that world. Now, where right. are we now beyond a... Demo of how that would work in a fairly simple game. And how long would it take? You know, we are now in COVID times. Like, how mm-hmm. long would that take before we are ready to go beyond the current video conferencing solutions? Before we're going to be able to transform what I know yeah. as an Oculus VR headset. And we're going to truly be able, you and I, in this conversation, I, we have never met. We have talked once before in prep of right. this call how can we now share something beyond just the conversation, the fact that we're obviously looking at each other uh, you know, through a screen. We could send each other some messages. If we were playing that game, we could kind of yeah. maybe keep playing that game. But what do you envision happening and how complicated is that going to be?
1: That's, that's a wonderful question. I'm going to touch, go back just a little bit and talk about that game. One of the interesting things that you didn't see First of all, that you notice all those little bots that were running around uh, were running exactly the same. Uh, okay. And what was really important is you were not communicating any of that information to your son. That we are running that, that 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 app runs at 3.5 kilobytes per second, uh, and which is basically just to maintain that, that state that that time. It doesn't. You're not sharing. You're not having to copy anything to anybody. Uh, all that's happening is those little bots are running deterministically. Okay, what, what's going to happen is um, we, I, I have this concept I call augmented conversation, which is sort of ripping off from Doug's concepts. Uh, but uh, when I think of AR, it's a it's communication device more than anything. Now, we have a challenge uh, in that these devices are being created, designed with the idea that they're going to be consumer devices. This is a really important key element of, of this. is, If you look at the iPhone, yeah. you cannot program on the iPhone. Now, only recently, last few years, Apple finally allowed you to have Scratch, uh, that yep. children's programming language, on there. But yep. other than that, it is designed from the get go to be a consumer device and only a consumer device. Apple doesn't apologize for that because they're saying it's safe. Uh, and and uh, you know it, 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 the, the, their model is extraordinary user experience. And of course, if you could program it, anyone, any programmer knows that that's not a It'll good user trade. experience. Yeah. They, they want a
0: black box because that's what uh, that's their right. founder wanted. They wanted simplicity and beauty, basically. And you're trading
1: off experimentation.
0: Mm-hmm. And remember... Your-
1: uh, Steve Jobs is the one who came up came up with this idea of bicycles for the mind, which was yeah. how they described the Mac, which is the exact opposite. Yes, where you're trying to go faster and think faster and do hard things. The iPhone doesn't want you doing hard things; they want it's you. It's kind to of
0: curious that the the 180 that Apple has done. I mean, not to talk about Apple, but it is a very curious thing that in in sort of wanting to aspire to be basically the perfect instrument for the creatives they created some of the more closed ecosystems for thinking right. that you could even imagine. But anyway. So
1: so here we are on the threshold of... Um, is, I, the way I think of it is every AR device should talk to every A, other AR device. And the way to what look at it... What is an AR device, Steve? Augmented what is reality, an AR your, your device? headset. Yeah, you know, When you put on these things in the future, augmented reality, right? Someday yep. when these exist, uh, and they're yep. beginning to show up. But the, think about this. Every phone in the world can talk to every other phone. Every phone yep. in the world can communicate. When and you start talking about communication collaboration, that has to tr- transcend platform. And and so when we look at what's going on at Facebook right now, we look at what's going on at Apple right now, uh, they're building closed ecosystems and, and more closed as they go on because they know that that's lucrative, that they want to control their users. Um, but we need a way to provide POTS, plain old telephone service, Uh, and we see that the browser is that vehicle. The browser is extraordinary today. It's extraordinarily fast. As Alan says, it's fundamentally broken, Uh, but if you just use some of it, you don't need the whole thing, then you can actually create some magical uh, capabilities. And what that means is, and you noticed what we were doing, uh, those applications, those demos that you ran, we're running in a browser. Yeah, So we see browser as the equivalent of what the phone is uh, uh, today. on. I mean, the the, the plain old telephone service on on a smartphone today is what the browser's role will be on AR devices in in the future, which is this is how you're going to talk to other people. This is how you're going to engage with other people. And that's where all of a sudden... This idea, this extensibility, this ability to engage and modify the world we're in and also be able to share dynamically, take an object and just drop it in. One of the things you probably noticed when you're playing the game is uh, you just copied it over and it ran and you were both together. Yeah. A- and probably one thing you missed is one, one of you started first and already may have modified some things. When the second person joins. They were joined exactly uh, where you were left off. In other words, there wasn't any kind of having to restart or anything. It is just pick up where you left off. So yep. that you're having a conversation with somebody and you're sharing this 3D object, this 3D idea space. Somebody comes up and they they join that conversation and instantly they grab that piece of uh, uh, of that system. Remember what you're doing. You're not just sharing the ideas. You're sharing the code that made that thing possible. So yeah. just like you grabbed hold of. Um, that, that game and shared it, uh, you're, you're going to have, AR is going to allow you to have all these different kinds of objects that some of them interact or interoperate with each other, but anybody can join at any time and get a copy of not just the world that you're in, but the, uh, the objects uh, that have the intelligence that drive it. And that all of a sudden gets really interesting because now there isn't a barrier of what you can share and what you can talk about, every object is something that can be dropped into that that shared space that both of you inhabit. And uh, and and now, next step. And you were bringing this up. Really key element, a real key idea about AR today is it hasn't been invented yet. In other words, the user interface that people are looking at right now, and you can see it in in the VR interfaces and that sort of thing, is basically. Uh, copying the phone interface.
0: So you're but, saying Google Glass, for instance, just to take a form factor of current sort of AR, yeah. that interface, even though you were you were sort of pointing to your glasses, so uh-huh. there is something about the sensor of the eyes are going to be important to Absolutely. empower in you know within this interface. So it has to do with using the sense you know the the, the visual uh, acuity. You know, it's going to be part of it. But you're saying you, we don't really know what the winning form no. factor is going to be in AR. And it's not going to be a phone in your mind because our fingers are not going to be fast enough for this reality. No, no. Is it is it an invasive device? I mean, is no. Elon Musk on the right territory? Or, <laughs> you know, who knows? No, I,
1: I think it's... um. That's such a good question. I, what will happen is... It's an always-on, always-on-you supercomputer. Is it invasive? I think it becomes invisible. All good interfaces become invisible. You know, If you had to think about the interface, then, then you're failing. By the way, this is a foundational issue I have with the people who create these the interfaces today. What's magic about the mouse, as I said, is intention amplifier. You move it a few inches and you know, do magical things. This idea of putting your hands out into the world to be able to control it is stupid. Uh, I, I actually did when I was doing telepresence. I was you know, using my hand to control a robot arm. And keeping your hand up in the air, it, you don't have control. And if you do, you have to you know, stiffen your arm up, agonist antagonist system. And, and you get tired really, really fast. The yes, main thing did. is you don't have that amplification of intent. So, So already we're going down these stupid paths. Uh, it, when we start thinking about, you're, you're not taking any of the lessons that Doug demonstrated of how we, how we amplify what we want to accomplish. And, and so that's one of the reasons it's sort of a bad idea to to take the interfaces that people are creating today in AR and putting them in amber because they're terrible. Well, so now you're, now
0: you're getting to me because, I mean, one of the reasons I think that VR has had such a hard time is that, you know, as patient- as people might be with like new technologies. At some point, the reasonable person, you know, takes a look, tries out all these headsets and this and that, and at the end of the day concludes, it's a nice little toy, but all of these ridiculous movements you're asking me to do, it just doesn't feel real at the end of the day, right? And this has been the case, you know, I've tried these for decades. so. it's not yeah. just that the application space hasn't been developed into kind of something f- useful beyond kind of exploration, but l- like you said, the the stuff you're trying to duplicate is is actually stuff that are um, yeah. I mean, it's it, it doesn't yeah. it It's it a very work. naive.
1: It's a very, it's naive, a very approach.
0: naive approach. Yes,
1: and, and uh, unfortunately, I don't think people. Take to look the lessons of the, of the past. So Doug, Doug, as I mentioned, Doug's system, uh, they collaborated on modifying the system together, and they you know used the system to modify it. At Xerox Park, the same thing. Small talk was this malleable clay, and they could def- invent personal computing by by building it in a sense. But you know, having that ability to throw away ideas, it's so important. And so. We look at why, why is that same approach so important for AR right now. It's because we haven't invented it yet. We don't know what works. We don't know what does. And so that means that when we establish this, this capability, we need to have incredible flexibility. But guess what? The web has that. You know, the web is extraordinarily flexible. We can, I, you can actually modify code. In a web browser, while the thing is running, right? You've probably done that. Yeah, you know A lot of sites exist to basically let you try out code snippets and that sort of thing. Well, any application can provide that capability, which means that you now have, if you if you start with the right kind of primitive pieces, um, like a text editor, that then all of a sudden everything else can be constructed. So, so in a sense. Uh, going back a little bit, we talked about this arches and bricks. I mean, if we create enough bricks and we have an idea of what an arch should be, we can get there.
0: But so you are you're painting a picture of an intensely collaborative digital reality uh, mm-hmm. which also is built on 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 something uh I guess, physical in the sense that it augments our senses, but it, 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 it yeah. is tangible enough. It extends into local space. So, I mean, so you have something in mind here where not only would we be interacting via a flat screen, there would be actions that have kind of real consequences in my space. That's is right. That is that what you're thinking?
1: It's a shared reality, right? I mean, we're, yeah. we're both engaged with this. I make a change. Even the bugs are going to be identical. Right, uh, yep. that's essential. And think about but then how right- do you do the
0: how do you do the forgetfulness? Because one of the things that fascinates me a lot is you know we talk a lot about memory and building you know mm-hmm. memory, but forgetting the right things is also part I think of this flexibility you speak of. Right, so if you are collaborating on something. It's, it's sort of much easier to pile piles upon piles. So I send you 10 sources of knowledge and then I read those. Uh, you, you know, you send me those, I read those, you, you, you know, and you can build based on, on that. But how do you take away things in digital space? How do you collectively decide this is not useful and how do you put it aside without... Yeah. You know, and how do you decide on those things as you're building something?
1: How do you do it today? I, a part of it, by the way, I, I think you have to think about it in a slightly different way. Uh, what usually happens when people get introduced to new ideas, uh, they, it's not like they get an artifact. They do a search, and, and then they can see, okay, that's something I'm interested in, I can go deeper, or I can ignore it. And so <laughs> the more important thing is the knowledge that these things exist. And then you, ha- when you ha- are en- engaged in that idea space, then you can go find it. Uh, so but, I don't... But, I if don't you,
0: but if you look at the idea of uh, when you said search, I was assuming kind of a, a, a Google search engine search. One of the things, and I wanted you to comment on that, mm-hmm. you know, search engines have kind of like forced us to live in this enormously annoying reality for me where every morning I have to reinvent my searches. Like I could, yeah. I could save my search results or like my query, you know, on a piece of paper or on a, on a spreadsheet, but essentially I have to repeat the query and I'm not really, uh, you know, there's no archive there. There's no real memory, uh, to speak of. And I'm kind of re- redoing it every morning as if I had had no thoughts yesterday is there another way to conceive of knowledge gathering than this idea of search? And how does it extend into augmented reality in the future? Um, like what would what would the next generation search engine look like if you applied augmented reality to it?
1: I, I think that the context is such an important aspect to this. In other words you're doing something that's like something else, wouldn't it be great if the c- computer had an understanding of that higher level idea than just the words that you use and and can actually su- do suggestions of things that are like this, that you may be interested in sort of a semantic level instead of a syntactic level. So yeah. I think that's what I, I could imagine happening, uh, especially as we start building out things, uh, yeah, you know, I I sort of look at it. Uh, how are you going to talk to a computer to tell it to create a simulation? That itself is very. Um, I mean, obviously, you have to say words. Uh, yep. So, but but the reality is, what ha- you you're trying to relay an idea space to the computer. And of course, what's neat about it, it's interactive. So the computer's going to say, what do you think of this? And you can say, well, it's totally wrong. Uh, try it, try it this way. And, and it'll refine itself. And I, I sort of think it, of it that way. And, and that's a sort of a search. It's a hmm. searching an idea space though, not necessarily just looking for the, the right keywords. And, <laughs> but, but this is kind of, I'm, I'm not, I, I, I did AI years ago. I'm not doing it today. Uh, But that's how I imagine the computer is going to be smart enough to understand what it is you're after based upon the context within which you're trying to solve the problem. Uh, and I have no idea how to do that. That's probably, It's one of those, like, it miracle happens here uh, in, in my design.
0: <laughs> but but so that's, I guess, you know, uh, I wanted to bring this back to our, our own physical spaces. So you see guitars in my background. I see some guitars and some etudes uh, in your background. We share mm-hmm. music uh, right. as, as an interest. To what extent is this next iteration of computing uh, related with improv? You know, improv... Oh, yeah. relies on a very detailed knowledge of some basic patterns, at least in my world. And then you improvise based on certain allowed flexibility within those very rigid structures that you kind of, at least when you're doing it as a team, you have to agree on. So, yeah, you know, I, I you know we agree on the four bars, we agree on some of that, right? right? H- how does that transcend into kind of an augmentation on the digital space?
1: It's so interesting that you use that. Uh, so Alan's a musician, and he said, the computer is an instrument whose music is ideas. And and I took that one step further and said, you know, this augmented conversation is jazz. Somebody throws an idea out that is shared, an object, an, uh, some artifact, a thing that we can both. And then all of us are able to then riff on that. Yep. You know, explore it. Cr- as I said, criticize it, modify it. That that that's a mutual exploration where all of us are contributing, hopefully, to add value to to that exploration. And that's very much, uh, you know, when when people are engaged socially, the, there's so many interesting rules associated with that. You know, it's like how you even hand a glass from one person to another, or a business card in, in Japan. There's very well structured things that are become invisible to us. In AR, we're going to be engaging with these things, and we don't really know what the nature of politeness is inside those worlds. A good example, stupid, simple example is, so both of us are working on a whiteboard, and then I do undo. Do I undo the last thing I did, or do I undo the last thing you did because you were the last guy to draw? I don't know. I, that, that's a weird. I mean, it's a simple example, but it's one of those things. If I delete the last thing you did, you might get pissed off. And <laughs> on the other hand, what you did might have been really bad, and I want to get rid of it. Uh, so you, you've got this. You know, the, the computer systems not only have to help us engage technically, but they have to help us engage um, emotionally uh, and, and so- socially. Which is but a Dave, weird
0: I, thing. <laughs> I, I agree, but I think you said, you know, you used to do, uh, do AI. I think that so much of what's going to have to become AI and, you know, people are scared about AI, but I think, you know, for decades here, we're looking at a system that's a combination of AI and humans, right? Because so much of this context that we're talking about now is just not going to be fully automated. However, even if you semi automate some of the steps in the process, we can radically augment our own ability to co create something much more significant. Right, so it a, is about figuring out which particular steps are easier to modularize and get right. suggestions from from the machine, and which steps we're going to have to correct these AI systems. Uh, I mean, I, I think oh, almost forever, you know, no, I, but I, I for agree. a long time.
1: But yeah, it, it's the, the idea of of this. In a sense, you ask computer to provide something; it's to replace a blank piece of paper that you have it's so much easier to criticize than to create. And, yeah. and so, in a sense, that that's the first part. But here's a really key th- thing, I, I believe this, is that you are defined more by how you communicate than anything else. Mathematics is a language that allows mathematicians to communicate even more complex ideas. But if you indeed... Yeah, you're defined by how you communicate and we expand the scope of what you're able to communicate about and how you're able to explain and and explore with other people you're reinventing the nature of what it means to be human because you're going from this I you and I are talking right now uh, digitally but we're not much different than one if we were face-to-face, but this thing is I'm going to think something, it's going to show up between us, both of us are going to explore it and create something that never existed before, and we might not even say a word, Uh, but we're communicating in this broadband way that is uh, marvelous, incredibly powerful.
0: And Dave, I think that's why I was so intrigued when 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 we had our initial conversation, because I think one of the things that has fascinated me endlessly is that as long as we're just talking about replicating face-to-face, technology will always lose. In fact, um, I wrote a whole PhD about that. I mean, yeah. it's pretty obvious that, you know, as long as you're trying to replicate, why would you always lose? It's actually a mathematical argument. One, you know, one plus one is always going to be more than one. So, you know, if you have mm-hmm you and i sitting physically together and you can add a machine on top of that now you're always going to have something better you know or you just turn off the machine because you didn't right. think it was better but but if you are apart and you're going to try to do something you have to come up with something that cannot be done as well when we are together and unless you come up with something that cannot be done as well as we are doing it when we are together, you're never going to win. You're not, mm-hmm, never going right. to create something that is actually an exemplification of our becoming a virtual species. That's and I right. think this is fundamental right now because everyone's thinking about you know, online learning and you know, remote and you know COVID and this and that. That's all nice, right? We have a, a, a crisis on our hands, which you know, puts us confined to our houses the real killer applications will, would, would have to do what you were just saying. Mm-hmm. They would have to create an object common between me and you where we would see no benefit of having a coffee physically together or, or I don't know, touching hands and saying, yay, you know, over a blackboard. We would literally be exploring something that is best done when we are physically apart. So what are some of those things? Because I, th- I think the use case for that hasn't been fully explored. Like, what are those things
1: I don't that think we repl- could then do? Yeah, I don't think it replaces you being a part. I, I actually think that it's important to keep in mind that uh, there the bandwidth of human-human communication includes a lot more than uh, just eye contact or here's this digital space. You know, the way you hold yourself, the way I sit. I mean, these things are. Uh, there's a lot of data that's going between us. So when you're face-to-face, you actually do, it's always an improvement. Uh, but what are the things that enable us to really explore is, um, I, I always, because I'm an engineer, I always look at that sort of space, which is sort of obvious that you're going to design a new airplane and we can actually do virtual wind tunnels and try out and literally modify the wing structure as the thing is running. That, that That's a... That's sort of a simple example. Another one, obviously, is you start modeling your organization and you see all the parts of the organization. You see the flow of data from parts to parts. In fact, one of these things, one way to think about the stuff we do is create these little collaborative rooms. And collaborative rooms can... First of all, it be connected to other rooms. They can contain other rooms. And so you can imagine that whole structure uh, permeates the organization. So you can actually get from going from one of these links to another to another to, to see the entire organization, pull up the organization, and do a model of that and, and say, do a what if. The magic thing about spreadsheets is they allowed you to design a virtual company and, and try it out. And see what happened, right? Uh, and and that's what we're looking at here. Is so this ability? It's like, can we actually start doing modeling of complex systems uh, collaboratively, where we're actually able to explore all these avenues, all these idea space, and and, and come to a much deeper understanding and and invent something that never existed. But
0: isn't the combo, the unique killer kind of application here is, if you think about these early MOOCs, right? The multiplayer online games where yeah. essentially the part of the magic is you would never bring that many people together. First of all, it would be way too expensive, right? You could do it once and then you're yeah. done. Now, in our world, you think about a company. Right now, we just physically can't put that many people together. It's not safe. Right. So. The the real interesting application, I guess, would be if you started saying, "There's now a a kind of a symbiosis between modeling what ten thousand people would do together, and then mm-hmm. actually bringing ten thousand people yeah. virtually together, and then having them collaborate with a meaningful enough digital fabric that what they are co creating becomes." You know, only possible in that situation. And, you know, mm-hmm. even if you had 10,000 of them together, it would be like too many thumbs, right? It, the, that wouldn't just wouldn't work.
1: But so, yeah, each person's working on some facet of the big system. And almost everything you do in any organization is collaborative in some form. It may sure. not be instantly collaborative. In other words, I, I send you an email to send you some information. I send you a spreadsheet. You modify. it. You send it back. There's a lot of that. But at the same time, imagine if all those things could be uh, uh, instant. Uh, you know, just like both of us are talking about this, both are modifying, and, and so the, the everything's a conversation. Um, but the other side of it is being able to kind of do these deeper dives uh, as as part of that. You know, I it, it's a interesting interesting question because if you look at traditional um, enterprise ecosystems, they don't do very much. You know, I mean they, they don't really yep. have the modeling that you would imagine that they'd have. They don't really have the way of monitoring the organization and, and doing the, the, the what-ifs that the spreadsheets actually enabled. that very, very few people know how to use. And and so what happens if we can help help with that? And that's where AI maybe is going to play its most important role, which is it's going to help relatively naive users do much more interesting things. Uh, and, right. and and that, that may be the, the true win. Um, yeah. but, uh, you know, at the same time, I, I just sort of see everything, everything humans do is in some form collaborative. You're, you you're building something for somebody else. Uh, you're communicating with somebody. And if all of a sudden the scope and immediacy, of, immediacy of that were transformed, uh, you know, I just sort of see it as a, uh, ext- I mean that's where the amplification occurs and that's what gets me excited. I mean that's why I started this was how do we make that all come true? And yeah. a lot of it's being done. I mean the headsets are getting pretty reasonable. I expect what Apple comes out with in the next year or two is going to be really good. Uh, so technical barriers are dropping, but the foundational part where we see these things as a way of collaborating primarily collaborating that's not given the thought it needs, and the other thing is, although I know Apple's going to make an amazing device because that's what they do, my guess is it's going to be very much hobbled by the fact that it's going to be a consumer device to start. It's going to be, oh, you want to get from here to hit there? We have a product called Maps that will take you from here to there, but yeah. but they're not necessarily going to say. Well, think about it. They're going to own your reality, right? You're going to wear these things all the time and they're going to define what you see and what you engage with. And it's like that alone should bother people. But the the other side of it is that there's going to be a hard limit to what's possible. And that's that's not what should be happening. We should be looking at how we're going to amplify the opportunities and capabilities that we're going to have. I mean, every 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 person's going to be inventing. Uh, as, as part of this, and that's and going to be well, every person is
0: going to be inventing. Yes, ideally, but and and, and mm-hmm. I want to kind of just bring this all back because yeah. our conversation could, could you know could go on forever on these topics. And I typically ask my guests a que- uh, guest a question that I'm not going to ask you. I say, you know, how do you track this area? But it seems to me that what we're talking about is much more than tracking. What mm-hmm. you know, we're talking about a future avenue of computing. Where you seem to be asking people, uh, and I don't know exactly who, but you you want all of us to engage in a much more direct way and realize that this is basically the future of how we can express ourselves yeah. uh, di- digitally. So then my question becomes a little more fundamental in that. And it's not, you know, how do I get how do my listeners get into your world, sort of in a theoretical sense, but it is how should we as individuals professionals uh, you know whoever we are engage with this new reality so that it doesn't just come to us when Apple creates a product. Yeah. In other words, how should we reread some of these papers we have talked about from the 50s? Should yeah. we Are there companies today doing these things in AR that we should look at? How, how do we get access to the inside of, I, I guess, your head and other people who are exploring these things? What is the best way to interact with our impending future?
1: Uh, it, it's a really good, um, that's a fantastically good question. And I'll, I'll tell you the, the ray of hope that permeates this space is uh, the web and what we call WebXR. Uh, WebXR is a new protocol on top of the web browser that allows you to build uh, both AR and VR applications on top of it. I think the, the role of the web is going to be, uh, in a sense, the liberator from the walled garden. Um, everyone's going to probably still have to have the web as part of their infrastructure. Uh, don't be surprised if they don't try to limit it. Uh, you know, it's like, because the web's getting fast enough and good enough that there may be uh, concerns that it can it can indeed compete. But the goals... Well, what do uh, you mean by that, David? It can indeed compete with what? The walled gardens. No,
0: with, with the, the walled any... gardens. Yeah, 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 yeah. I see what you're saying. So companies, I would be concerned because individuals and startups and, and kind of like... Bad players too can basically very quickly put up a structure that can start competing in very serious ways. That's right, commercially and 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 idea wise with with very old and established players. That's that's what I'm understanding what you're saying. That's right.
1: And remember, there's no friction there. You you're able to try app out without any issues. Uh, If you you may notice, there's a QR code and that QR code can be used to. Pass that same app to another phone instantly just by scanning that QR code. So yep. friction-free deployment like that is uh, extraordinarily powerful because that's you know that that's the a necessary requirement for viral distribution. Yep, and and so when it, it once this gets good enough, then that then you get this incredible flow. And what we're looking at, what what I'm focused on is building kind of a kernel of that to enable that collaboration to be very, very easy to build. Yep. Um, and, and so when you take WebXR plus what we're doing, and the other things that are really neat are 5G. Uh, you know, people probably dismiss it because you don't really necessarily need it to watch movies because you're on it, or 4G kind of does that. But 5G has some really nice capabilities. One is extremely low latency. One of our goals is you want to be able to play ping, virtual ping pong yeah! Uh, you know, I mean, virtual built- ping
0: pong and and music, right? I That's mean, right. Do you th- is five G already going to solve some of the? I mean, you know, the pandemic has has made it terrible for musicians trying right. to uh, to produce something together or sing a choir, right? Choir is a horrible thing for for the pandemic, right? You totally. you really can't meet up and sing. H- how could you do that? Uh, with five G, take care of most of that latency, or Not, depends, or, or some of it,
1: right? If you're if you live close by. Then you're okay. You can have like sub ten, uh, maybe sub twenty millisecond latencies, which is where it's right at the edge. But yep. as you know, if you can't do a sing along on a cell phone uh, yep. because uh, it's just so much latency. So for if you're close by, we're not we're not changing the rules of physics, laws of physics here. All we're saying is if you're if you're close by somebody else, then the latency between you two should be you know ten, about around ten to twenty milliseconds, and that's good enough for doing things like music. It's also good enough to do ping pong. Uh, and, and that's, that. You know, if you're further apart, you won't be able to do music. I know, I, I'm, you know you're not going to change the speed of light or any of that. Uh, but you should be able to do a lot of things. Uh, that And so, you know, the degradation is not necessarily going to be But but this is interesting, Dave,
0: right? Because what this mm -hmm. actually says for these, and and music and and ping pong are are two activities that we typically do physically co located. But what you're saying is, you know, the the speed of sound and and the speed of light is not going to change. But if we are in a situation where, we either by choice or by necessity cannot physically be together. As long as we are physically proximate, as in like within the same town or within the same college dorm, you can do an enormous amount of things virtually. So we're not actually talking about two extreme realities. You in Dubai or, you know, you in North Carolina and me in Boston, we're talking about in the same city, in the same town, maybe in the same college, within the same kind of within... Uh, yeah, ten so, square miles, right? Or so one square mile, even
1: better. That's right. So your woodwind quintet can get together because they they could before, and uh, and, and I, I, that's actually doable, I, I think. And I think five uh, G when it's when it's stable. I mean, it's going to take. I mean, we're just beginning to roll it out in the U.S. Uh, I think is going to be able to enable just that kind of capability. And And when you add these things together, this immediacy, this uh, you know, this ability to explore complex things or for that matter, engage with each other it, it, you know, you, I like I said this earlier is the, the, the virtual will become as real as real life uh, and, and and you know you're going to be able to look at it. it's going to look real. I mean we know that uh, computer graphics is if anything is going to solve that. but the other thing is when you touch it, I mean, you may not feel it, but when somebody sees you touching it and it moves, it responds. It'll respond exactly as if it was a physical object, uh, yeah. and, and it'll it will have that immediacy. And, and that's you know kind of the the exciting part of all this is uh, we're we're not just amplifying us; we're amplifying the world around us uh, in a, a really profound, deep way. And every af- I, I think of it this way is. Every application in AR should be collaborative. There's no reason not to. Everything, even, even your personal information, you may want to share some aspects of that on occasion. But imagine if, if at the foundation, just like uh, you know, with Smalltalk, everything was made out of objects uh what if and by the way also the ethernet was part of that infrastructure and Ethernet was invented also in invented as Eric Park so everything could communicate with everything else what if everything could be collaborative in other words you just build an app it's automatically collaborative you, you actually have to do something to make it not collaborative that that means then your ability to share these ideas to share dynamically friction free it just works you, you don't have to <laughs> think about it
0: yeah, well, and, and then, I mean, something that I'm uh, amazed by, and this may not be in this decade, but if you add kind of the possibilities of synthetic biology on top of this, yeah. now you're, and manipulation of atoms and, and things with nanotechnology, now, mm-hmm. now you're talking about possibly being able to build synthetic biological worlds that can be assembled and controlled digitally. So that you can not only touch something that feels real, but you're touching something that actually is real.
1: And, and remember, part of what we have to do is build tools that allow us to build better tools. Sure. And, and that's the key element. That's where the real uh, explosion comes. Uh, as soon as it, the, the, there's going to be a lot of players that try to cast it in amber and, and freeze it and say, this is the, all that will ever will be. Yeah. Uh, the nice thing about the web is. It's, uh, it gives us, at least for the time being, the freedom to start exploring these bigger ideas that we have to have. I mean, the reality is uh, we have huge problems facing us. Uh, COVID's going to pass, but some of the problems we face uh, as a species, uh, as a world, uh, are in front of us. And we're
0: thinking uh, about uh, in the environment. Or are you thinking about yeah. uh, well, crime so or were you thinking not about crime?
1: Crime is never going away. <laughs> no, I, I'm talking about the, you know, we look at the challenge of, of global warming in particular, which I, I believe we're past the tipping point of fixing it socially. Uh, you know, it is like driving a few hours, a few miles less is not going to change the problem, which means it's now become an engineering problem. In right. other words, think of it as the Manhattan Project of, the, of of our our children's generation is getting going, and they need tools to be able to address this problem, and it, they have to be collaborative tools. Just like uh, Los Alamos was a collaboration of the you know the greatest physicists in the world, you're going to see the same problem here. These guys not only have to. Uh, deal with the problem they face, but they're going to have to create tools to help them design and, and solve these problems. And so what we have to do is give them enough of an infrastructure of tools and capabilities that enables them to invent the future that they're going to need. Yeah.
0: Uh, are so you are you optimistic on that side, David? Or are very, you again,
1: you know, thinking
0: that we, we need to become basically an interplanetary species to kind of have a plan B if this does yeah. go south?
1: There's a lot of ways I, I, I think to fix the problem. Yeah uh, the, 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 there, there are messy ways, unfortunately, but um yeah, you know, the the I, I I I'm very I feel very positive about about it as long as it's not a step function, right? I mean, it, 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 as long as it's gradual enough and it's now getting to be uncomfortable for people uh, that they're, they're beginning to understand it, it's it's real, which is unfortunate, you know, uh, that, that that's it what has to happen. It didn't have to be this
0: way. Yeah, it didn't yeah, have but, to be this
1: way. But, you know, the same thing happened with Pearl Harbor, right? Uh, you need an event and we're, we're probably going to have something. Uh, yep. and, and hopefully it's not the an existential one. But yeah. once that occurs, then there's going to be a, a, enough behind it. We certainly can afford it. It's sure. one of those things you can't afford not to. Um, and it was really interesting, if you read a history of the atom bomb, was uh, General Leslie Groves was running that project, and, and uh, he asked, well, how, how many ways are there to build an, uh, a bomb? And he was given like six, six different approaches so his, what he decided to do was he did all of them. You know, in a the big country, we have a lot of money, and we could do all of them. Well, that's what's going to yeah. happen here. Yeah. You know, how many ways to, can we figure out to, to solve this crisis?
0: Yeah. Uh, we're going to have hundreds. And it may not be six. Yeah, exactly. It may be 6,000, actually. That's right. You know, depending on, on the granularity uh, you want to go down.
1: But the tools that we're going to need to solve these problems, everything from engineering new kinds of uh, satellites or uh, batteries or, you know, you, you, you name it, uh, new kinds of computers may be required. Uh, we need tools that enable people to create those. Yeah. And so in a lot, a lot of ways I see, I, I've said AR is a supercomputer. You, you, it's always on and always on you. And I see that as it's going to replace your PC. It's going to replace your smartphone. It's going to be the next device that is, that is going to be... going to replace the PC, David? Because yes. that's
0: unusual, right? I mean, the TV still exists, even though the computer exists. The phone because, still exists. But, yeah, but, but you, you're saying it's going to replace it. It's going to be yeah. that important.
1: Well, not just that. It's going to be that convenient. So uh, these yeah. are glasses I wear, which are reading glasses. And at some point, they're going to be good enough that... Uh, they're going to replace every single screen in my life. I don't need it. Uh, the quality is going to be good enough. The resolution is going to be good enough. I, mean, I you yeah. know, Remember, Alan saw the first 16 by 16 pixel LCD display, and he invented the personal computer as a laptop you know, with the DynaBook. And all I'm doing is saying, it's going to get good enough, and it's not too far away, where it's you know, every screen I see around me is, uh, including... IMAX, by the way, is going to be uh, replaced by this one device. And what's really neat—think about this—I'm uh, a programmer, so I love big screens. What I want is a super workstation where everything—I have a huge screen over there of information, a huge screen over there, and I can zoom in and out and access it. In other words, that that right now, if I want to get you know to my bigger screen, I have to move my body over there, and then it's just like but. But this is just going to be thinking about it, and then I'm going to have this massive amount of information. And not only that, but I'm running some code over here. I'm running a simulation that's based on that code over there, and I can actually see them both together. It's really, um, uh, from a creator's perspective, it's going to be a very information-rich environment. Uh, so, so when I say it's going to replace your PC, absolutely. It's going to replace your TV. It's going to be, because it's going to be convenient. The quality is going to be better than what you're going to have there. The screen size can be any size you want. Um, I mean, it's, it's really, that's a non issue to me. That's, that's, that's a, the vector of the technology that we're depending on is already set and we're already going to make that happen.
0: All right. Well, uh, as we're rounding this up, I just want to give. Can you give a timeline on that? Because it's pretty powerful stuff. You're saying it's uh, fait accompli. We're going to not yeah. need the computer as we see it today. H- how far off is this?
1: Is it a decade away? Is it uh, more? Ten years at the most. Ten years at yeah. the most. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, one thing is required, and only one thing, which is ov- obviously market demand. So if Apple comes up with something good and I use them only because I actually have a lot of faith in their ability to make great, great stuff. I have lots of Apple products. If they make something that's good enough that scares everybody else, absolutely that we're on the right roller coaster and we're going to go for a hell of a ride. So really it's just having Alan referred to the Macintosh as the first computer good enough to criticize and that's what we're looking at here. Uh, we're going to have a device yeah. that's good enough, and we're going to criticize the hell out of it, uh, mm-hmm. and no matter how good it is or but but the reality is, as soon as you're that point, that's the tipping point where all of a sudden everybody wants one, but they want but one plus, right? The Android yeah. was uh, the a, a wonderful counter to the iPhone. Uh, and I, I expect we're going to see similar things. In the near future, I, I know Facebook's not going to sit on their hands, you know. When when Apple comes up with something, Google's not. This is the this is the big frontier. Uh, that yeah. These
0: what f- about other what about other countries? I mean, the TikToks of the world, the Byte dances, and you know, there, oh, there yeah. are other nations coming up with uh, good consumer products. And, and, and China
1: actually has much better AR VR than what we have here. From what i've seen uh, and i've seen yeah. a lot over there beautiful yeah. devices but the, there's another reason is there's a lot more interest a lot more uh pickup on on those devices of the consumer side than yeah, they are certainly there. china korea japan yeah. definitely In a is a sense, a they, sens- they may, they may, may get there, there first they may actually yeah. have something that's good enough uh, uh be out before some others do i mean i certainly yeah. I love this a lot of the stuff I've seen out that come out of uh, come out of china and and in fact that's sort of a worry that we're not being anywhere near creative enough uh, mm. in this space because I, I think it's strategically important that we have a, so
0: David, just, uh, just as we're, I mean, I, I, I keep asking you new questions, but Croquet, so that what you're building, is, is is that not going to be a consumer product? Are you, I mean, what form factor ultimately are you trying to, 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 to do? because, you know, you, you talk about these changes, but you're yeah. a big actor potentially in many of these things. So what kind of a product do you envision your efforts are going to go into?
1: Yeah, Croquet are, is, you know, is, uh, is uh, the, I, I mentioned, it, is the kernel of the operating system.
0: Yeah, so it's uh, one of the
1: back-end
0: yeah. kind of enablers.
1: That's of right. This. So when you build an application on top of Croquet, it's automatically multi-user. It runs a bit identical, just like I was saying. You play yeah. it, build a game on it; it's going to be perfect multi-user without. Yeah. And it was it, by the way, it's all client-side. So when it, when a person creates a, an app in Croquet, the, the server has no state at all, and and also the messages are encrypted from one user uh, from end to end. So the, no. the these reflectors, which are stateless servers that we have, can't even see the messages. So yeah. so what we see it. This is just the foundation of building what we think of it, it, uh, when I when I think of these collaborative this collaborative infrastructure. Croquet is a necessary piece to that. Uh, and yeah, you know, we've deployed reflectors worldwide. So anywhere you go in the world, you can uh, try try it out um, and. Uh, and more importantly, building applications is really easy, and uh, and you get something that is, I think, transcends what's possible today. Otherwise, I mean, no, hmm. you know, you can certainly do uh, multi-user apps like Google Docs, but those are um, sort of a transactional, uh, sort of a database model. We're actually shared simulations, and, yeah. and that's I, I think that that's why it's so exciting and interesting is it's a, it, it, you know, as soon as you can do a shared simulation, you can do everything else. You know, everything else is is, is trivial. Yeah. Uh, and, and so this was the hard part and, you know, created, by, again, by one of the, you know, David David Reed and I and Andreas, Rob, came up with a protocol that is, I think, in a sense, the missing protocol of the Internet. Um, you know, it, and and uh, and I don't say that lightly because I think that we need to have this ability. We need this co- deep collaboration. We need this ability to share uh, these dynamic spaces. And that's why we built it. That's why we designed it. And, um, and, and it really, oddly enough, was trying to keep Doug Engelbart's and Alan Kay's vision of what computing should be. We needed to get them to become real. And, and we're very proud of, of what we built.
0: David, on that, on that note, thank you so much for what you've shared with us. I, it's, it's an utterly fascinating future that we are building
1: yeah. together,
0: oh, hopefully, you know, many oh, of us taking thanks. part, small little part of it. That's right. Um, even talking about it, I find fascinating. So. Um,
1: well, I appreciate your, your time. This was fun and great questions. Uh, you, you made me think, so that's, that's, that's very great.
0: You have just listened to episode 36 of the Futurized podcast with host Thrun Arne futurist and author. The topic was how 5G plus AR might revolutionize communication. Our guest was David A. Smith, CEO and founder of Croquet, the augmented reality collaborative operations system. In this conversation, we talked about how augmented reality builds on insights that were present among the precursors of the Internet, such as Douglas Engelbart and Alan Kay. We explored whether and how AR can evolve into a communications platform that is in some ways more real than co-presence, or at least can support simultaneous digital collaboration in a way we have never seen before. How long might this take? What will the form factor be? Will computers, as we know them, become outdated within the next decade? My takeaway is that AR has the potential to shift digital communication into a radically novel transformative collaboration environment where simulation, multi-sensory stimulation and symbiosis between humans and computers can unlock innovative potential and provide the backbone of a platform that can help humanity confront its greatest challenges, such as climate change, pandemics, and other threats to our way of life and ultimately to our existence. With the pandemic, we now have an incentive to build this out a decade earlier than it would otherwise have happened. To ensure that AR does not become a walled garden, but can benefit all consumers and all enterprises, we need open architectures to flourish. Thanks for listening. If you liked the show, subscribe at futurized.co or in your preferred podcast player and rate us with five stars. Futurized, preparing you to deal with disruption.